internet friends, and welcome back to another episode of Glass Alice, the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids for our adventures in Wiki Wonderland. I'm Drew, and I really enjoy digging holes for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. With me is... I'm Lindsay, and I'm still thinking about the word sesquipedalian. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite word. <laughs> me too, at least on the daily. And I'm Sarah, and my favorite color at the moment is mustard. Ew. <laughs> oh, ew. I like it. <laughs> this is the show. Sorry. I like it. <laughs> this is the show where we plunge into curiouser and curiouser, and we dredge the lake bottom of the internet to bring you the weirdest, creepiest, funnest, most exciting, or purely strangest facts that we can possibly find on the internet. This week, we started on Gucci. We did, because of... So that we could steal that hashtag. House of, house of Gucci. Father, son, house of Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to see Lady Gaga like play the role she was born to play. Oh, dear Lord. Anyway, we started on <laughs> Gucci. We ended up in very different places. But before we reveal where we've mm-hmm. ended up, it is time for Question of the Week. And I am excited to announce that we have some listener submissions to answer <laughs> these questions. Yes. Oh, okay. So shall I, shall I start with this week's question? Please do. Oh, it is a good one. It is, what would your stripper name slash drag queen name be? Uh, so basically, what is your most extra stage name, your, your dream name? What would it be? <laughs> So Monica from Chicago says Bones Dongtron. (laughs) (laughs) But also submitted Bruno Bang Knife. We got two for one. Bruno Bang Knife. I love it. Uh, And we have Daniel from Seattle (laughs) says Bruce Peen Hammer. (laughs) Peen Hammer. Oh, that's also wonderful. (laughs) Sarah, you've been bursting to share with us. What is your stripper name? I have because I would have the perfect name. So um, I guess anyone who doesn't know what I look like, I'm a short lady, but I've got (laughs) padonkadonk. I was gifted in the chest region and I don't want to be. I'm 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 cutting them off soon. But that has been... Basically, my brand for all of my life is just unreasonably large chesticles. I, oh <laughs> but so I would call myself if I had a stripper or a drag name, Mountain Mama, <laughs> based on you know that song, <laughs> "Take Me Home Where I Belong." <laughs> yeah. oh Mountain Mama. Um, so that would be my 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 stripper name, Mountain Mama, and then it would I'd have like a bra with mountains on it to really hammer it oh home. that's beautiful oh wow yeah that's exceptional <laughs> thank, thank you. you for that sarah oh, thank <laughs> you for for letting me share it because after in two months i will no longer be mountain mama i will be mosquito bite hill which i'm <laughs> very excited about <laughs> I will be Mountain Sun. Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Drew, what is your stripper or drag name? So I had I had two stripper names that okay. were were themed. They're themed stripper names. Oh, good. Good, so, so you can go with what you feel, like, on a given mm-hmm. day. Yes, exactly. So yeah. my first one, and it's a little callback to another episode, it would be Pierre Delecto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! <laughs> 
And I would come out in a Mitt Romney mask. <laughs> Stop. Oh, fabulous! Oh, and and like a like have a tearaway suit, so it looked like a mall official, and it's like bam, actually pull off suit. <laughs> oh, you gotta have oh the pull. Oh yes, I love that you came with an outfit in mind. Yes, and then and then the other one is Daddy Drew. <laughs> And no. <laughs> you come out wearing you come out wearing just a toddler carrier on your chest no, and nothing else. No, no, it's even worse than that. It's like I come out and I'm all disheveled. I've got like a, a wife beater with like a hole in it, and I've got like a oh beer can God. in my hand. Drew, you'd and be I'm a like, terrible stripper. No, 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 no. Here's the here's the thing. Here's the thing. You gotta let me finish my my. This is a themed. It's themed. Sorry, keep going. He's painting so, a word so picture. I come out and I walk over to the to the to the pole and I bump into it. I'm like, oh, what the fuck is this? And then I grab it and bam, start my routine. And it's like a like beautiful routine. And like throw the clothing off and they're like, oh shit, like that was I was expecting something completely different from this. And like the DJ, oh shit, all that's under there. <laughs> the the DJ would be like, get this guy out of here. And when I when I come out, but then like he's like, oh shit, what's happening? And then you're like, and he's like, no, no one, one touch him. him. No we one love touch him, him now. And that would be that would be my stripper. <laughs> <laughs> stripper names that stripper routine. That would just not be my stripper. That's my stripper. <laughs> that is excellent. Oh my god, I love so how other specific it is. Yeah. That's my brain in a nutshell. Oh, <laughs> Oddly well, specific. Daddy Drew. Daddy Drew. Daddy Drew. Oh. He's single, ladies. Hey. <laughs> hey. hey. Email us at uh, Ask Alice Podcast and we can set you up. <laughs> we can interview. You have to go through a two-step interview process, me and Sarah. <laughs> yeah, two-step authentication before before you get to the goods. <laughs> the damaged goods. <laughs> We're all damaged. Don't worry about it. Uh, Lindsay, what's Lindsay. your stripper name? Thimble Tickle. Thimble Tickle. <laughs> <laughs> Another callback. We're doing it. Oh, thimble tickle. That was a great episode. Maybe I would wear like a maybe I'd wear like a giant squid <laughs> on my front region. Really. Actually, yeah, I would I would wait I would be sponsored by um Nova Scotia Tourism. <laughs> Nova Scotia oh tourism. my god, you could be the new mascot, Thimble Tickle. The dance. <laughs> Thimble Tickle, the, the musical, the Broadway show. <laughs> why, why do I feel like that has to be a tap dance performance? <laughs> yes, because with the eight legs, you'd have to tap with all of the legs. <laughs> if you haven't listened to the Thimble Tickle episode yet, go back. It is the episode about a giant squid and it's wonderful. I believe it was Giant Squids with Socialist Agendas was the name of that, the episode. That's it. Yes, yes. I, I think that's it. Promise yeah. no squids were socialists in the making of it, um, but it, it was it was really really fun. <laughs> and where did so where did everybody end up this week? Mm, uh, I want to know you first, Lindsay, because you gave us a hint in the WhatsApp, and you said you're you're going to talk about sex a lot, mm. and then you sent a picture of a robot. Yeah. So are you a robot sex doll? <laughs> uh, that is related. I will be talking about. Ars Electronica. Oh, I don't know what that is. Ars Electronica. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Drew, what are you talking about? Any sex or robots? No, actually, uh, Lindsay nailed it when uh, when she posted on Twitter. 
Uh, a spider silk, actually. <laughs> you, you nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> oh, shit, yeah. I was guessing. You, yeah. You, you got it. You that got it. That was very hopeful thinking on my part. So I'm very happy that you're going to talk okay, about spider I'm vomit. I'm excited. Is spider silk the same as the, the web silk? You're going to have to listen to find out. <laughs> okay. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. Can't get all the answers right now. Um, alrighty. Well, I I landed on um, plague doctors. Plague doctors. All right. Plague doctors. Yeah. <gasps> oh, I'm so excited. I don't even know where to. I mean, should we should we continue the stripper theme and just go right into the sex talk? Yes. Yeah. Let's do I'm it. I'm into it. Okay, and then who's who should we do after that though? We got. Should we then bring it right down with some black death? Black death, and then end okay. up end up with a little silk, silk, silky touch at the yeah, end. Yeah, bring us back up with some silk. It's, it's like we're gonna have a wild night. It's like we're gonna start out partying, then we're gonna contemplate our mor- mortality, and then we're gonna throw up. <laughs> yeah, you know, like sure. yeah, it's just. Basically, it's like shots of tequila, dance on the dance floor, regret everything. Yeah, I feel like yeah, I feel like this this entire episode is going to be like the emotional roller coaster of a, a really great night out. Yeah, buckle up. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> buckle up. Here we go. Well, then let's jump right into it. So, Ars Electronica. Um, if you couldn't hear by how I'm enunciating, um, the first word is Ars, as in ass. Oh, ass. Uh, <laughs> Good. Yeah. So, A R S E. Ars Electronica. Oh, okay. yes, yes. So this is actually a, an annual conference <laughs> <laughs> that was organized by the Austrian Arts and Philosophy Collective called Monochrome, who I had never heard of before. But the title of the series was to be a pun on Ars Electronica, which is an arts and technology organization in Austria. <laughs> so funny yeah so i immediately was very very interested and so kind of broad strokes definition of monochrome this group is that they love to push boundaries i'm all about this they're all about investigating sex and death and taboo and they get into technology because what other frontier than the frontier of science is worth is worth studying is worth pushing so ars electronica was a conference series that pushes all of these boundaries simultaneously. Uh, so the the conference ran from 2007 mm-hmm. to 2015. Um, I couldn't find what happened after 2015. Yeah, because um, that's a good, that's a long run. It is. <laughs> um, it used to be held in San Francisco, but then um, according oh. to the wiki article, they wanted to bring it back to Austria, but no word on whether or not that was successful, if it changed names. I'm, I'm honestly not sure what happened after 2015. Um, but <laughs> this is so fitting. They give a list of like notable people who have been, and I don't recognize any of these names, but they seem to be very prominent in like sex positivity scenes. But one of the people uh, writes a blog called Slash Dom. <laughs> Slash Dom. <laughs> Which I think is great. That's another great stripper name is Slash Dong, I think. Slash Dong. <laughs> that is great. Uh, and another, uh, I don't know if this is a blog or a company called Thrillhammer. So once, you know, I might save these as like World of Warcraft usernames. Thrillhammer. I love it. Thrillhammer and Slash Dong. That, oh, it reminds me of Thrill House from that Simpsons episode. I think that the best way to introduce this is just heart to heart for a moment, say, we're all humans, 
And we're all, I think, with our creativity, trying to forge what the next frontier is going to look like. But simultaneously, like we're animals. Like we can't, I mean, we can stray further and further from God's light all we want. Um, But we are always going to have needs and urges and things like that. And so I think that societally, um, there is a lot of taboo and shame around sex. But it's very interesting to me personally, as as your co-host, Lindsay, um, to think about <laughs> the ways that we intellectually push the boundary of technology. And yet we feel that mm-hmm. we have to leave behind the body, in a sense. And um, it's almost like, I guess taboo is the word I keep coming up with, but it's almost like really frowned upon to even think about or discuss the ways that our bodies um, are going to react to such a digital age or um, how our needs will be satisfied in a realm that is um, more and more like futuristic, I guess. And so that's something that this conference really tries Mm -hmm. to explore. And who better to do it than artists who already don't give a fuck about social (laughs) media? Well, I think... I think it's so interesting the idea of like when you say that sex can be a bit of a taboo topic because really it was like back in the, you know, the Victorian and the Edwardian eras where all of a sudden like it was pretend sex does not exist and it's, you know, unnatural and, you know, ungodly if you're not married or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And it's like we're animals literally the only reason we exist is to reproduce and try to continue this species like exactly what? yes yes and i definitely feel as a scientist there is a weird tension between you never want to come across as too emotional because god forbid that makes your science look less valuable or mm. less credible mm-hmm. and so you know what's more emotional than than sex and so it's almost like if you bring up sex with technology you're a freak you're a freak Mm. right off the bat or it Mm -hmm. makes the science you're talking about less scientific one has to come at the cost of the other and i fundamentally disagree with that yeah i I agree with you and it doesn't have to just be the the emotionality the emotion the emotion i can't speak today (laughs) the emotional things behind talking about sex but emotion in general especially in science like a scientific forum that idea of having any type of emotion um yeah can be perceived as negative or you don't want to come across as weak uh which is bizarre because again animal with emotions if we're not robots (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yet yeah yet. yet yet but it's interesting it's interesting though because this really is that engendering of Ooh. robots and emotion that's that's mm-hmm. what this this cross section here is um given that i'm setting the stage for this to be taken seriously i'm going to giggle like hell at some of the puns they come up with um <laughs> okay <laughs> i wanted to share with you guys some of the conference names um because, you know, so so anybody who's never been to a conference every year, there is usually some kind of theme, um, not just not not just in our field of, of astrophysics, but in um, I'm sure humanities fields do this, too. Drew, have you been to? It's the only way that we get joy <laughs> out of our work is to come up with bad acronyms and funny conference names. And some semblance of structure, right? Like if we just say, oh, yeah, this isn't just everyone coming to talk about random shit. This is all frontiers in the new age, whatever the fuck, you know. Yeah. Yeah, like I've been to a Cool Stars conference this year. 
and it literally is about cool temperatured stars. All all the conferences I've been to have have like had no theme to them. They're just kind of like, yeah, we're here. Really? Yeah, they haven't had themes. <laughs> yeah, we're here. <laughs> so um, I wanted to share some of my favorite titles and themes of some of the conferences past between 2007 and 2015. So the one that immediately caught my attention was, do androids sleep with electric sheep? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's good. That is good. Uh, another one was Space Racy. Ooh, Space Racy. <laughs> I like that. Four play. <laughs> uh, screw the system. Ooh, yep. Like- and the most recent one, which I think has a very cool poster because it's still on their website, is Shoot Your Workload. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> But some of the, beyond giggling at, at all of these very inappropriate, well, not, why inappropriate? Let's, let's expand on that. Why inappropriate? No, these are, these are just rated not for children, uh, but not, in, not inappropriate because we should talk about it. Uh, some of the things. Yeah, that, not inappropriate for mature aged people. Yeah, exactly. And we're still polite society. Are we? <laughs> Questionable. <laughs> So some of the uh, things that were discussed at these conferences that kind of got my interest peaked and my imagination running was that, uh, for example, do androids sleep with electric sheep? One of the topics that they covered was sex and tech through futurist sci-fi. So starting uh, from the perspective of science, going to science fiction and then expanding into Mm -hmm. sex, but then coming from the other perspective, starting with porn and looking at the way that porn incorporates science fiction. Oh, interesting. Um, which I really had not thought about. So yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, Space Racy that I mentioned talks about quite literally sex in outer space. How would we do that? You know, we keep talking about how we want to expand to other worlds, expand into space. What is sex like in outer space? But kind of, I would say, I would argue more importantly, how will built spaces, human built spaces, in outer space take on its own new sexual nature or how will it be inherently heteronormative you know if we as the way that we are now hmm. projecting ourselves into space and making new environments how is what we have with us today going to carry through with us we keep imagining some very futuristic brand new garden of eden sort of a deal but if we have plenty of problems here uh, socially with us on earth how are we going to bring things like that um into space and the new uh frontiers that we create there such as heteronormativity Ooh, i like that that's interesting i think so too mm-hmm. um of course also in this conference was interspecies romance and oh. we can't really talk about that yet because we haven't discovered alien species but they also talked about that in video games oh they were talking about alien i thought they were i thought we were leaning on bestiality here and i'm like <laughs> you've lost me <laughs> i mean that's that's kind of a gray area when we're talking about aliens i think but that's maybe a... yeah, well yeah star trek and star wars that are the great loves between you know different species that is very I, a little bit weird i mean I guess. Yeah, probably not not in this episode, but that would be an interesting thing to ponder. Mm. Like, when is it bestiality and when is it just interspecies um, relationships? But I don't get paid enough to do that, so I'm not going to think about that right <laughs> now. <laughs> um, I like thinking about also just like the basic biological mechanics of like 
sexual intercourse in outer space as well because there's or even just um so once you have uh your your fetus like how does it actually develop in outer space because there's all these like big questions about how important is gravity to development of not only a fetus but also into the production of that fetus so again yeah sex in outer space we're not sure if it would work and if it would biologically do what we need. I think I'm also very interested in a purely social aspect, what sexual norms and sexual cues and flirting would all look like in space. Because it's like on Earth, like, you know, there's like you you give a little look or you like saunter on over or there's like you know, a, oh yeah, you meet at the right, water cooler. Yeah, there's like a proximity <laughs> where it's like once you cross that, it's like if we're talking really close to each other, this is now flirting. Well, if we're fucking like spinning around in zero gravity, <laughs> like at what you know, our boundaries I think would change. Or you know, are you gonna notice I'm winking if we're just spinning around? <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> how will our body language? I guess that's what I mean more broadly is how would our body language? change in space and what would space courtship be like all you gotta do is just do a sick backflip and you're good (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I, and i think that these are things i don't know if that specifically was talked about at these conferences but this is kind of the point is not just to have these quick punchlines of like haha i made a dirty joke but to truly get into like what does gender sexuality and sex itself have to do uh with space and in the future and incorporating um, mechanical elements so a lot of this does have to do with um sex dolls and even less human than sex dolls but like sex machines what does that actually mean? And I, I thought of this uh, documentary, I think it, I'm not sure if it's on Netflix, but it's called Animism, uh, where people will date inanimate objects. And this is a bit of a divergence because it's not quite the same as this conference was talking about, but it's like, you know, this woman in one of the episodes has a crush on the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I watched one episode where this man is in love with these pool floaties. I did not see that one. Oh, it's very pure. Yeah, he's got multiple pool floaties, and I think he's got one that he's technically, well, not technically married to, but that he considers his wife, but they have an open relationship. (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but it was very beautiful. Well, I, yeah, I I wonder how much he's making the rules. (laughs) That's why I'm laughing. (laughs) She's obviously got no no voice in the relationship. (laughs) Um, But the idea of love or falling in love with, different things I think is very fascinating because there's this famous crane I forget what its name was but it imprinted on a human when it was a baby and it's a really rare species of crane and it's one of the only males or was at one point one of the only males in captivity and they needed it to reproduce and so it was in love with humans it imprinted on humans so it wasn't attracted sexually to the other cranes and so the way that they they basically were able to help the species um, was to have a human go in and do a little mating dance until they were in the right position to, you know, either grab the eggs or, um, or you know, artificially inseminate the female. It was, it's really fascinating. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it really gets after, like, the biggest question, like, what's love? What is love? <laughs> don't, don't start singing it. Baby, don't hurt me. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> as Hadaway once posed 
what is love? But truly, you know, it, it, it's, it transcends a lot of rules that I think we put on it. And um, I didn't even attend these conferences. And just this, like, literally this list on Wikipedia got me thinking about all of these questions. So I found that incredibly fascinating. And I wanted to leave you with a, a image, I guess. Um, at one of the, it was Space Racy again, they had started doing um, a public performance art piece. And I love performance art because there is, so back in the 1960s, there started to be this popular uh, form of performance art called happenings. And the idea is that um, you will never again recreate this piece. It is impossible because every individual who is present mm. is bringing their own uh, past up to this present moment. They're bringing their own impressions. They're bringing their own ideas of society. Um, you will never again capture the emotion of that moment. And so it's more about a snapshot of your performance than it is about the performance itself. It's more about the audience interaction with the piece than it is just about the piece. So I'm a huge fan of happenings. And this is um, not, not officially called a happening, but it's the same idea. At the Space Racy Conference, uh, monochrome performed or made available this piece called uh, the Six Feet Under Club. <laughs> so if anyone's unfamiliar, there is a joke that, or not really a joke, but there's kind of like oh. this idea of the mile high club, which means that you have sex on an airplane. <laughs> never, never sounded appealing. Um, and never understood the appeal. No. <laughs> this six feet under club doesn't sound very much, very much better either. What do you think it is? You have sex in a coffin. And? Underground. Yeah. Oh, no. So, like, you're buried, like, you're yeah. buried alive in a coffin and you've got to get intimate. Yes, and then some. So couples could volunteer to be buried together in a casket underneath the ground. Oh, no. And, um... Using Monochrome's uh, own words, they describe this as to to put the couple in a space that is extremely private and intimate, and it is a reminder of the and social terrifying. norm. Terrifying. I mean, yes, I even thinking about this, I get very claustrophobic. I do not enjoy the idea of this, mm -mm -mm. but that's art, Sarah. That's art. When you feel something, that's art. That is art. It it invokes something. <laughs> yes, you're totally right. So the coffin was meant to be a reminder of the social norm of exclusive pair bonding till death do us part. Oh, that's kind of sweet. So it's kind of a play on that. However, quoting the Wikipedia article, this intimate scene was corrupted by the presence of a night vision webcam which projects the scene to an outside wall. Oh, geez. So the scenario keeps the intimacy of a sexual moment while moving the private act into a public space. Um, so monochrome's performance can be seen as an absurd parody of pornographic cinema or the examination of the high value huh. placed on sexual privacy. Huh. Something, something really to, to ponder. I'm going to keep quoting that guy from the, <laughs> from the Star Forts. Something to ponder. Star Forts episode. Something to ponder. Every time something leaves me speechless, I'm like, something to ponder. Something to ponder. Something to ponder. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I really love that juxtaposition of like intense intimacy where you are sharing a limited volume of breath possible, but it is also made incredibly public. And I do like this as an ex extremiz extremization. Yeah. Extremity? I don't know. Of, of pornography. Yeah, the juxtaposition between the two is, is really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, it mm. can't be that entertaining to watch because I'm guessing my coffin's not very large. I, 
I don't think it was. <laughs> there might not be much to see. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah's picky, picky about her pornography. <laughs> so yeah, that was. Um, I guess you could say that. What I ended up reading was a lot less about Ars Electronica and more about the work of uh, Monochrome. And I think they are really, really cool. And I'm extremely glad they exist. And uh, before I move the the microphone to one of you guys, um, I wanted to say that one of the sites in this article is, <laughs> is, is literally... Everything you need to know about Justin Bieber going to space. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that contribution, Justin Bieber. Good. Well, I'm so sad that if those conferences don't continue, I hope they continue. It's fascinating. It is. It made me very much want to look up what Monochrome has been doing and see if they want any... Um, Volunteers. American collaborators. <laughs> An astrophysicist volunteer. Yeah, I would love to talk about... Well, so this honestly, in my notes here, I wrote down sex, death, and robots. Have you guys watched that? Hello, Editor Drew here. Sorry to stop the episode for a second, but Lindsay got the name wrong. It's love, death, and robots. So to save her from the apology corner next week, I wanted to correct that. Now back to whatever we were talking about. No. Oh, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is a it is a series on Netflix where um, I believe it's like small indie. Um, like, I don't think these are any like big name productions, but it is small. Each episode is a self-contained story all done in completely different art styles and the subjects are sex death and robots it is extremely good i highly highly recommend it okay i will that sounds really really fascinating there's that um do you guys watch rick and morty a little bit sometimes yes have you seen the episode where they go to party on planets that are about to die so the the planets know that the apocalypse is coming and they're having an end of an end of planet party Basically, so they know that they're going to die. The species on there know that they're going to die. And they're just chucking a giant party to celebrate. Um, but it ends up, you know, they either turn into a giant orgy or, you know, a cry fest. But it's really, really funny. Yeah, I can see that. It's good. That's a great idea. Like, whoever wrote that, like, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. But... I was, this actually got me really thinking about like the interplay between, you know, sex and technology. And one of the things that kind of hit me was VR porn and how I've heard, I've heard, I've heard people say that changes your, like, like how you view porn, like completely changes it. Like you can't go back to just like non VR porn. I mean, you can't, of course you can, but, but it's just like, it completely is like a new level. Actually, what's funny is that one of my gay friends texted me. Um, so he's like really into VR and I guess that he had done a VR porn something and he texted me and he was like, I am so sorry for you. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, I tried out VR porn as a woman. And is that really what men look like? (laughs) 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 Uh, At least we got an apology on behalf of the male species. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, I just wanted to know what heterosexual female sex was like. But it, it's like, I mean, it's a funny story, but it's also fascinating that that's where we are now. Yeah. That that's yeah. something that you can do. You can literally live another person's sexual experience completely independent of your I'm own. I'm sure there's a deep realm of psychology um, wrapped around this idea of will people not be able to have real life general sexual... Organic? Like... 
like as opposed to inorganic yeah yeah like an organic sexual experience in real right. life and will it live up to their expectations now no I, yes <laughs> no no <laughs> No. Yeah, I'm going to say no. <laughs> but yeah, I wonder how that will in- impact people. Yeah, that is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have an answer, but I think that's very cool to think about. Well, with that, should we get into death? Now we've sex, death, and robots. Let's go on to, well, sex, death, and spider vomit. Death <laughs> <laughs> and spiders. <laughs> Alrighty. So everyone's happy to jump down from sex to death? Yeah. It's yes. more of a lateral jump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely don't do the jump at the same time. It's. Yes, that's a lot. <laughs> but what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> Don't do the jump. Don't, forget Don't it. Don't die while having sex. Oh, <laughs> what do you guys think? Uh, I just thought it was like a weird Australian thing. <laughs> <you were saying. laughs> Anytime I don't understand you, I'm like, that's Australian culture. That's I don't Australian. get it. It's <laughs> a weird Australian shit. Okay, let's let's jump laterally um, to plague doctors, which I'm so excited about. These are the classic plague doctor that you you envision. Do you both have an idea in your mind of classic plague doctor with the beaks? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So these are super super popular in like pop culture of medieval times and you know lots of video games have incorporated them I'm like think about Assassin's Creed with the with the played doctors like they are such an iconic yeah. character and I was so excited to learn more about them because it turns out that the actual played doctor that we think about the one with the the bird beak uh, mask and the big long stick and cape actually wasn't around during the black death or the biggest plague that there has ever been. No way. Yeah. So the Black Death, um, which was the the big the big bad, not great time of the bubonic plague, um, which was in about thirteen fifteen to thirteen seventeen. I think that was when there was like this great famine. Um, a lie, a lie, a lie. So the Black Death. So there was a great famine. So basically, the the thirteen hundreds were not a, a good time for anybody. Um, <laughs> at all there was very low food stocks um uh because of different famines around around the european continent there was also not great weather so trying to keep food and grow new cult uh, new crop not great and then midway through everyone gets hit with suddenly uh the bubonic plague is making its rounds through europe and it absolutely ravished uh the europe and 25 million people died during this time because of the bubonic plague now to put that into perspective in the last two years with the coronavirus plague well not not a plague it's a virus different thing um but with the coronavirus pandemic we've we've had just over five million people globally die um which is an extraordinarily huge amount of people um, and, you know, it's really devastating and having tolls on modern society. Um, but think about how many measures we've had to put into place. And the reason that really we can even get back to having some sort of semblance of normal life is because of vaccinations and vaccines, which absolutely did not exist hundreds of years ago. Yeah, it was was really not a good time for these poor people. Um, but that was the Black Death. So that was the classic, when you think about the plague, that was it. The plague doctor, though, with the pointy beak and, you know, 
these high fashion scents. That didn't come into into play until 1619, which I thought was really Whoa. crazy. Okay. Yeah, hundreds of years later. Um, so the first written description and... Um, like diagrammatic description that we have of a plague doctor is actually from 1619 um, in a written work by the royal physician Charles de Lume, um, who was serving King Louis VIII of France at the time. And he described this kind of outfit and why it was necessary for for dealing with the bubonic plague. Because even though the Great the, the Black Death was hundreds of years ago at this time, the bubonic plague was still quite rampant. So every now and again, it could, there's three different strains of bacteria that can cause this bubonic plague mm. outbreaks, um, and it would spear up every now and again. And so there were these minor pandemics happening in different areas of the world. And this outfit was uh, basically the first hazmat suit, if you can think about it, but it was before... They understood the science behind why <laughs> why we need hazmat suits, mm. which I think is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I th- it's because you don't want the virus to look at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, if he looks at you, he gets you. Yeah. So I thought I'd take you back in those times. So you are a ye old doctor. <laughs> you know that people are dropping dead around you, and you know that it's a plague. Um, and it's probably the same thing that killed, you know, an enormous amount of people a couple hundred years ago. You don't know why, though. So you know they're getting sick. You don't scientifically know why. So back in the day, this is my favorite thing, is I think we've described this on another episode as well, is that the body used to be described via humors. So you used to have your four humors in your body. Um, and these you could think of as four liquids. So you had your, your yellow bile, your black bile, your blood and your saliva. Um, Mm -hmm. And these were the four liquids that were meant to be in your body. Now we know there's many different types of liquids and not not that much bile i think bile was overrated <laughs> that's the difference <laughs> that's what they got wrong <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> they got a few things wrong but it was this idea that you had to have this perfect balance of the four and so if you were unwell well obviously one of your humors was out of order so you had to address that and i think we talked about this when we were talking about mental illness back in the year old days they used to think that if you were depressed you had black bile build up in your brain which (laughs) i mean it feels like it sometimes when you have depression but it's not it's not physically the case swimming in that sludge (laughs) mentally yeah like you can understand from because as someone who's dealt with depression yeah it does feel like you're just in a a sad puddle of sludge so you can see where they came from and i wanted to ask you guys do you know what uh, a victim of the plague would look like when they were sick so it definitely had boils all over them right bulbous the 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 boobo boobos that's the one yeah sure did boobos yeah the boo-boo bubbles (laughs) yeah so if you get the plague um, your lymphatic system is struggling, struggling hardcore. Um, so your lymphatic system is the bit that it filters out all the all the different things from your body. Um, and when you're really, really sick and you have really intense infections, they swell up with, uh, ironically, different things that could be mistaken as yellow and black bile. <laughs> <laughs> back in oh, the day oh yeah yeah so you were you had like big pussy um 
lymph nodes coming to the surface of your skin. Um, so people might know, you know, when you get a sore throat, you might be able to feel lymph nodes or glands in your throat. Now imagine being so sick that they physically are so big that they start bursting through the skin. It's, it sounds and, you know, Ugh. yeah, it just sounds absolutely horrendous for these poor people. Uh, but they had their, their boo-boos, their boo-bosses. Yeah. Um, and the good old plague doctors thought that if you got rid of the boo bosses you could help save a person um oh no but don't they need those mm-hmm. yes oh, no. you need your lymph nodes to to keep working and so i'm gonna get i'm gonna get to it in a little bit about some of the wild things that they did um but i just wanted to describe the classic get up a little bit before we go on mm. so I'm sure everyone kind of has a bit of a picture, a bit of an idea of what they look like, but the typical play doctor always had a black broad-brimmed hat on, a white face-covering mask that had a large beak in the shape of, you can maybe think of it like a toucan beak. They then had big black (laughs) robes on, covered gloves, so leather-gloved hands, um, long leather boots and they actually tied they had an undershirt tying their boots to their undergarment so there was no exposed skin whatsoever um yeah i like this no matter what angle the virus is trying to look at you you've got the hater blockers on (laughs) (laughs) yes you are protected and so the the pointy nosy thing which some people have probably heard that they used to put different nice smelling things in there and it was kind of their way of making um like a respirator so they understood they had this i this you know, understanding that if you were near someone who was very sick, you were more likely to get sick. Mm-hmm. And they thought it was from breathing in the bad air. And they thought that the bad smells, because obviously you've got pussy boobars over here bursting and <laughs> probably not smelling very good. Um, they thought that was associated with the disease, which we know, yes, some things with disease smell bad, but it's not the, the smell that's making you sick. It's the, the bacteria or the virus that will make you sick. Um so they, mm-hmm. they kind of had this idea that they needed a respirator, but just missed the mark a little bit. So instead of having like layers of cloth to try and prevent um, smaller molecules, they were just trying to stop the bad smell. And so they stuffed their nose beak with, you know, roses, carnations, lavender, peppermint, you know, all sorts of things to try and make it smell better. I mean, can you blame them though? Like, I honestly... <laughs> I really think that it might have been crucial to get the job done. (laughs) Yes, honestly, for sure. There have been times where I'm just like, you know, like on my way to work and the person next to me has on way too much cologne or perfume and I feel nauseous and this is like too much of a good Mm. thing is making me nauseous. So I can't even imagine if I'm like surrounded by like decaying bodies that it would be very distracting to get my work done like i would think that just to even venture in there it's like i need my teddy bear <laughs> i need my safety blanket and i need like some good smells like <laughs> <laughs> and my three foot stick because they they tried not to touch their patients they just prod them with the stick oh my god like hey see you in bed there <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> poke, poke. <laughs> what you got here? Is that a peepus? <laughs> poke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but on Lindsay's idea of getting the job done, so these plague doctors were actually contracted to different villages, towns, and communities. And what I thought was absolutely fascinating, especially... So, sorry, I should preface with in the, the Black Death, the, the largest plague, there absolutely were plague doctors. They just didn't dress 
the way we think they did. Mm. But there were certainly doctors contracted to help victims of the plague. And so the bit that I found fascinating was that I just assumed that only the wealthy would be looking up, like would have been taken care of because they had the money to pay for the doctors. But what happened is the wealthy would fund for an entire region or town to be taken care of many doctors. So it was socialized medicine back in the day. Wow. Yeah. So it was anyone who was sick, they needed to be taken care of because if hmm. you're, you know, Mr. High and Mighty sitting in your throne, you need need all of the the people your your working people to produce and to continue everyday life and if they're sick you get sick so yeah we socialized medicine oh we should we should pause and and think about that for a minute america yeah definitely should <laughs> <laughs> yeah interesting something to ponder something to yeah ponder. <laughs> yeah well i can attest coming from australia where we have very good medicare medi-aid it's nice being looked after yeah and it's also amazing that mm-hmm. your actions affect other people like if you get sick other people get sick or if you want to stay unsick you need to make sure that the people around you stay unsick. Release the patents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure anyone who listens to this, they have to be pro-science. Hope. <laughs> You'd hope. And getting rid of patents on life-saving vaccines. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just patents on medicine in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, while we're at yeah, it. Yeah, that's a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother can of worms. Um, but I thought it was fascinating that, yeah, these doctors were contracted to certain areas and regions, but they basically they had to get their work done. So if they didn't do their duties or get their work done, then their, their food and their board basically wasn't covered. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you know, had to do what you had to do. And this is where that couple hundred years later, that necessity of having our plague doctors dressed in their crazy outfits But yeah, so I thought it was fascinating and I thought I would leave you off on one of my favourite ways that they used to treat uh, the poor, sick and dying of the plague. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, so they had those bubuses things, so they used to think that yeah your humors were out of order so you either had too much bile or too much blood um and the only way to get rid of that was to leech you of it so have you heard of blood leeching before of course yes absolutely we are americans you americans you have leeches in your bathrooms for for the blood leeching (laughs) well it's also how washington died so (laughs) really yeah yeah (laughs) what how did he was he sick and did they yeah they leached him too much oh no oh your country's wild because i'm proud to be an american (laughs) (laughs) i salute and there's like five leeches hanging off my forearm (laughs) oh amazing um okay so you can leech with leeches um, which you're all familiar with. So <laughs> if they thought that leeches weren't removing enough blood quick enough, they'd literally stab you in an artery or stab you in a very heavy flowing vein in the arm, normally in between <laughs> your your elbow and your, um, th- like, the other side of your elbow. What's that bit called? Not your weenus, but you know where you get blood drawn? Oh, oh, yeah, the inner... Drew, what is that? I don't know. I know that. What's the inside of the elbow? <laughs> the, the vagina? Because <laughs> <laughs> the weenus and the... <laughs> 
No. Stop it. It's a bad joke. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> I'm going to call it the elbow pit. Okay, so no one fucking knows what that's called. <laughs> Yay. So your elbow pit. So they used to <laughs> just stab them with big needles um, to create a decent flow. Let a liter or so, like a decent amount of blood, plop on out. And then they would quickly... Jeez you know suture it and try you know put pressure stop the bleeding is anyone else imagining a 1600s vine where they pull a leech off and they're like this bitch empty and then just stab the artery like yeet (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i think i should man our tiktok for this one (laughs) i think you should please do I don't know how to use wow. TikTok. Just, just join me. Just join me in your mind. <laughs> Go your join mind. her on Twitter. I'm sure she'll make a meme. <laughs> sorry, Sarah. I'm sorry for my horrible interruptions. Plural. No, it was fantastic. It's basically one of the things they did. Um, but if that didn't work, and you were really, really on death's door, um, a fantastic way to really kill you, to knock you off, um, or to try save you, what they thought was. <laughs> to cover your boils and boibuses with mercury. Oh no! Uh, li- liquid mercury. Good. 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 Then put you right next to a furnace. <laughs> what? Yeah. So put you in extreme heat with your liquid mercury on your boibuses and see what happens. I don't think it worked out well for anyone, but that was one way that you know that was your last resort. I feel like the biggest problem. Here, is that you're putting mm-hmm. liquid mercury like that that balls up and and flows all over on like little tiny hills so i feel like if you asked any doctors at this point like the hardest part <laughs> would have been keeping the mercury on the boils <laughs> on the, yeah, the boils. <laughs> it's not good <laughs> whatever it is it's not good it's not good and i'm not sure whether they like pierced a little hole then put the mercury in like either all always not good um, uh-huh. But yeah, that that is my tangent into plague doctors and how fascinating they were. I learned so much, Sarah. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I hope you had fun. I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that last part gave me chills, and like I've I've had I've done surgeries on rats and like seen some shit, and that gave me chills. You just describing that like those procedures oh. to me. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh yeah it would not have been a good time so that was worse <laughs> but this oh, is why vaccines God. are good wow so we never yes. have to resort back to boiling your boils boiling your boils get vaccinated i don't i'm afraid of what's in the vaccine so i don't want to put it oh. in my body but i would rather lie next to a fire and put mercury on my body there would be people though <laughs> Like the people taking, what is it, M- uh, Ivermectin? Ivermectin. Jesus Christ, that's a dewormer. <laughs> like, stop. Oh, people. The horrible thing, one of the horrible things about living in a digital age is that I only found out about that through horse memes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is funny. And then I found out like what it was. And I was like, I fucking hate people. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel like our generation, though. I'm not shitting you. I get most of my, my information from memes. It's just the most digestible format, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're going to give me bad news, make it a little <laughs> snappy and funny. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that was me. Drew, you got to save us. <laughs> All right. Drew, that's a tall order. <laughs> save you with spider silk. How, how am I going to save you with spider silk? 
Um, so actually, uh, it took me a lot of clicks. It took me 20 clicks to get to spider silk. Um, so I went on a journey and uh, at one of my points in my journey, I ended up on genetic diversity, which <laughs> I, was, I was very tempted to go with. But, um, oh my god, just so you could talk about incest again, yes. Well, not the opposite <laughs> of incest, genetic diversity, <laughs> yeah. But just so you could say the word incest, I'm not talking about incest, I'm, I'm this is the opposite of incest. <laughs> I just thought it was a little too on the nose to talk about genetic diversity, so that's why I didn't go there. <laughs> I love genetic diversity, it's good, too on the nose, too on the nose. Uh, yes, oh so god. spider silk. So, I think we all know what spider silk yes. is. Hopefully, we've all seen a spider web at some point in our lives. I, you know, I hope listeners have have seen a spider web. If not, I don't know. Go touch grass. I think that's probably the best answer. Okay. You know, can confirm. <laughs> come to Australia, you'll see many, many spider webs. Many spider webs. Is it true that only female spiders? No. Ah, Miss Boston. Here we go. So, uh, so spider silk, of course, is the material that spiders use to create webs and other structures to either catch food or protect their offspring. Um, they can also use silk to mm-hmm. suspend themselves in midair. You know, like hang from the from their their web um they can also use it to float in midair called ballooning yeah. which i'll get to later which is super cool um and they move they use it to move away from predators of course so what i found very interesting was that spiders can actually vary the thickness and stickiness of their silk depending on what it's going to be used for so it's not a one silk fits all oh, that's amazing radical. they actually have quite a few different silks that they can actually produce so i just thought that was super nuts so um what i found was that all spiders actually produce silk even spiders that do not build webs still produce silk, as silk is directly linked to their courtship and mating. So uh, male spiders will vibrate the silk as a form of courtship Ooh. signals to female spiders. And in addition, female spiders will actually leave form- like pheromone trails, pheromone trails, Jesus, pheromone trails on silk to attract males. So they kind of leave a little trail for them. They're like, oh, I'm over here. Look at me. Uh, so a <laughs> funny thing, a little Alice After Dark Ooh. here, male spiders will produce silk during intercourse. So they just kind of launch silk <laughs> turning into cores. Oh my god! That is so cool! And the reason <laughs> the reason behind it, we have no idea. We haven't studied it enough to understand it. But they just do. They just launch it while they're going at they're it. Inspired. They're making art! They're like, I, they're like, I love this. There's some art! Yeah! yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I'm in love! I want everyone to know I'm in I'm love! I'm silking everywhere! <laughs> not, not what I was saying. Oh my god. Not what I, I was saying. I, that's where you're going. <laughs> so, as I said, all spiders produce silk, and even spiders can, so spiders can actually produce up to seven different forms of silk um, for their different uses. And this is actually very different from regular insects that produce silk as like they'll only produce one type of silk while spiders will produce these seven for very specific purposes and some of these purposes include prey capture of course which you know when you they build a web and and capture prey it's like the pretty standard spider thing to do Um, and then they have prey mobilization which is when they wrap up their prey after they've captured them Uh, reproduction which we just talked about and dispersal. So dispersal is they use what's called ballooning or kiting, where they'll literally build the, a balloon or a kite <laughs> out of out of silk and then fly themselves. A balloon? Oh, that's amazing. Yes. It's called ballooning or kiting. So they, they use the wind to fly themselves, like disperse themselves. Wow. So if they're like in territories, if they're like too overcrowded, they'll just like fly to another territory Yeet. using a balloon. Basically. I love that they did not let 
evolution dictate that they could fly? Wow. They were like, I don't need wings. I've got my silk balloon. Yeah, right. Use thermodynamics. Like, that's amazing. And uh, another use of silk, it actually can be used as a food source. Um, where some spiders that create webs daily will eat the unused silk to mitigate the metabolic expenditure. So they'll just be like, oh, I have a ton of silk left over, so I'm just going to eat this silk just so that it, like, I don't burn the calories, basically. Really? Ooh, I wonder if it tastes any good for them. Oh, pro- I don't think they have taste buds. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty simple beings. It's like, it reminds me of like when you're playing video games and you use up a bunch of your inventory and then you're like, you know, like making a trail or something. Like Terraria, like we've both been playing Terraria. Like... You know, you put a bunch yes. of shit down to like make a path or make a railroad or something. And then you're like, oh, you know, uh, a little mm-hmm. too much. I don't want to do that yet. And you can just pick it right back up again. Put it right back in your inventory. Use it again later. Like it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. it's like fascinating. Yeah. But it's not it's not like this is food and I have to redigest. I mean, I'm sure they do have to redigest it and everything. But it's just really, really interesting. Yes. And it's just so directly like, well. I guess I guess the punchline is it's not directly, but very yeah. interesting. Yes, I, I burn the calories to make this, so I'm gonna take them back up so that I don't burn, like waste the calories. Yeah, yeah. So silk, another super interesting thing. So silk can be used for nest lining or nest construction, and the wiki article talks about this really neat spider called the diving bell spider that actually makes a diving bell out of web and lives in <gasps> like lives underwater for most of its life. And I thought that was like it's it's a it's an aquatic spider that just oh. like lives in the water. And I was like, that's that's completely nuts. So yeah, the diving bell spider. It's uh, look it up. It's super cool. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. And so it creates like its own little pocket of air. Yeah, exactly. Wow, it wins. It just wins at life. It wins. Yeah, exactly. I'm googling <laughs> it right now. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, there you go. You'll see it. It's super cool. Um, so spiders will also use silk for guidelines to lead them back to their shelter. So they'll leave little breadcrumb trails for themselves. They'll be like, oh, I, I need to get back to my, my uh, you know, where I'm sheltered. And, and they'll leave a little trail for it. Oh, I love spiders. Oh my gosh. I don't, but I love them now a little more. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want them to touch me, but I very strongly appreciate them. I'm fine if they touch me. You guys can send me your spiders. I'll send your spiders. Okay. Um, <laughs> so spiders will also use drop lines or anchor lines where the spider will drop from their web if alarmed. So, you know, when you've, if you've ever walked past a web, sometimes you'll just see a spider just drop and that's like a, a defense mechanism against predators. So it's just like, oh, I'm in the web. No, I'm not. I'm down here now. So it's, it's, uh, that's their drop <laughs> line or anchor line that they use. Um, and then silk can also be used for what's called an alarm line, which unlike prey capture will alert the spider when prey is near, but not actually trap the prey. So we'll just say like, oh, there's an ant walking around over here. Come and go, like go and grab it. And the, the spider will run out of its little cave and be like, oh, it got the ant. But then the alarm lines will also let the spider know if something big's outside, so the spider should just stay and hide. So it's just like these alarm lines have those two little functions that they can have. So it's it's really cute. <laughs> I thought it was right, cute. Right. So if you if you if you poked like a spider web, it would be like mm, that's not what food sounds like. That's not what food sounds like. That sounds like a big thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. And that's how they can tell if their mates are nearby, right? Like, oh, that sounds like a pretty lady. That sounds like a pretty lady. Well, that's what the, because uh, I was saying the males <laughs> would vibrate the, uh, the, the silk in, in a courting oh. pattern. And so that's, that's how they would know. Like, yeah. oh, it's like, oh, it's like playing with your heartstrings. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> your silk strings. Well, the females actually use, uh, they leave pheromone trails. 
So they'll like wandering spiders will leave a, a trail of pheromones to help attract a mate. And so they'll just like leave this huge trail of pheromones so that any wandering spider, a male spider would be walking around and be like, oh, I smell that. I, I want to go, you know, find where that spider is. So that's like they have so many uses. Wow. And what I found so, so very interesting is that these these different uses have different thicknesses and, and stickinesses, stickinesses. I like it. Uh, <laughs> different like different thicknesses and stickinesses <laughs> so Sticky. the spider actually employs several different glands to produce the different silks that i talked about and basically a particular gland is linked to a particular function so like particular silk function so the first gland is the ampullate major which produces dragline silk which is like the most sturdy silk that they produce and it's used for the outside of webs and also those lifelines are ballooning so when they drop down they use they use the uh the the dragline silk and that's like the sturdiest of silks the second gland is the ampullate minor which produces temporary scaffolding for web mm. construction so when they're building a web they'll actually put up this little scaffold that they can climb around on and then build the web but it's not a like it's not a permanent part of the web it's it's just like a, a, a scaffold. Um, then the third gland is the flagelliform, which produces the capture spiral silk, which, as the name implies, is used for capture lines. And then the fourth gland is the tubular form, which produces egg cocoon silk used to protect egg sacs. The fifth is the ancilliform, the ancinniform, sorry, which produces silk used to wrap and secure prey. And then the sixth gland is the aggregate, which produces six, sorry, which produces silk glue in the form of uh, sticky globules. And then the seventh gland is the pyroform, which produces silk used to make bonds between different threads for attachment points. So when they're building their web, they have, they use this specific gland to like attach all the webs to each other. So that's like a specific type of web or, or silk that they use. So. Oh, it's like, st- it's like super glue. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's their super wow. glue. So all of these different glands, they just have tons of these different glands that they use to uh, to to make silk, which is which I found super cool. And then the the wiki article then goes into the mechanical properties of the silk, wow. which I found to be pretty amazing. So I will summarize it as the silk drag line. So the the thickest silk that they produce has a tensile strength that is comparable to alloy steel. Which, where pound for pound, the strength of the silk is comparable. Holy shit. Or its weight, the the spider silk is extremely strong. And this actually comes from its original, the organized protein structure, um, which the article talks quite a bit about. So for those who are wondering, it's a ton of beta spirals connected large areas of uh, beta pleated sheets, which forms the strength of the silk. And uh, there's like a a big image of it on the the wiki article if if you're interested. But um, it makes sense from a protein perspective that like this is a very very like sturdy substance so that's kind of cool it just like it made sense to me which i found very interesting you're such a biologist yeah <laughs> yeah i love it <laughs> yeah the protein folds made sense they check out yeah <laughs> it, it, when you see the structure of it you, you'll be like oh okay i could see why that's sturdy i guess i mean <laughs> I see it, why it's sturdy <laughs> <laughs> i love it oh uh, so production of silk so the production of silk is an on-demand process so that's super cool um, which is drastically different mm-hmm. from many other fibers producing processes like hair growth and plant cell wall growth because you know you don't control mm-hmm. your hair growth you don't be like oh i want my hair to grow it's just like it happens continuously oh, i wish i could control my hair growth <laughs> right that'd be cool <laughs> yeah i would have a mane <laughs> Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, me too. I would make so many more bad decisions faster. Everything, every bad yeah, decision starts with a, a radical hair change. So, so silk is quote unquote spun on demand yeah. from a liquid silk precursor 
out of the specialized glands that I listed previously. And the spinning process actually occurs when the fiber is being pulled away from the spider's body, either by the spider's legs or the spider descending. So like the spider's legs will literally pull the, the fiber coming out of it. And then if oh, the... Oh yeah, because they have the little claws on the yeah. back of their legs. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And then the when the spider's descending, it's, its body weight's actually pulling it. So uh, I just found that very interesting. And funny enough, the term spinning is actually very misleading here because there's no actual rotation of any component during silk production. So the spiders don't spin silk. They just produce it. It's not, it's not a spinning process. They just squeeze it <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, they just squeeze it out. So um, this actually comes from the, an, an analogy of textile spinning wheels Ooh. and not actual silk production. Uh-huh. So spiders don't spin silk. They just produce it. Um, and this production process... So the, the pulling of the fibers, that's called pultrusion, which is a cute little word uh, similar to extrusion. But the force that induces the fiber formation is a pull rather than being squeezed out of a reservoir. So I don't know why this made me think of it, but like a 3D printer. Oh, yeah. Extr- extrusion? Extrudes. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Yeah. It, extrude, it extrudes the, the, um, the plastic. It doesn't, it doesn't mm-hmm. uh, like it's not a pultrusion. But, but the, the spider silk would be like if the front of the, the plastic was being pulled, mm. that's how pultrusion would work. So can we think of spiders as nature's 3D printers? I would say so, yes. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> the, the, I, I would say they're, they're bad 3D printers because they can only print certain things or like one thing, but they're 3D printers. They're doing printers. their best, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, will they say a broken 3D printer is right twice a day? That's what they said. <laughs> That's really bad. <laughs> That's a terrible joke. That's how it goes. That's the adage. <laughs> the old adage. <laughs> so the unspun silk fiber is actually pulled through the silk glands, which have many duplicates in the body in different types that we discussed previously. So we all know about those, those new glands that I just talked about. So then the article breaks down how each of the specific glands function, which I will summarize mm-hmm. for you because it was rather long. Um, so the gland stores the silk as a precursor in a large, like a, imagine like a, a big kind of circle. It just kind of, I don't know, a big area, I would call it, um, which then gradually diminishes in size as the precursor moves through the gland. So the gland then removes metal ions and water from the precursor and then begins to compress it. So as I said, it's gradually diminishing in size. And then this, this compression is actually accompanied by a decrease in pH. So it's becoming more acidic. And then finally, the gland ends in a little duct that acts as a valve for the silk that's being produced. And of course, this is a very basic summation of the process, but you kind of get the point where it, you know, it starts out large, it goes to the gland, and you remove a bunch of metal ions, you remove some water, you lower the pH, and you just compress it and compress it and compress it until it's finally like a very thin strand. And so that's, that's how they produce silk. Kind of to wrap this up, uh, spider silk is produced by specific glands for specific functions, and the process is an at-will process versus being a continuous process. So there's not just like a, a ton of silk just sitting in the spider waiting to be used. It's like just being produced continuously, not continuously. It's being produced at will. On-demand silk production. <laughs> yeah, I demand silk. Um, <laughs> so I always wondered how spider silk was produced, and now I know a heck of a lot more about spider silk. So yeah, that's, that's spider silk in a nutshell. That's amazing. Isn't it? Thank you, Drew. No problem. I, I, I was so interested in this and I was so happy I got to like express this to you guys. That's amazing. <laughs> I have a fun little tidbit. 
on spiders and spider silk is that in microgravity or up in space, they really struggle at trying to make their, like, orb-weaving spiders. They struggle big time trying to weave their orb um, without the influence of gravity. That is so fascinating. There are so many intricacies that I never thought of, but also, like, it amazes me how many subtle clues the animal kingdom just leaves behind. Like, you know, the idea that there is this trail of pheromones completely invisible to us that we would never interact with, but it's how mm-hmm. spiders or strangers like meet each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's just absolutely incredible to me that there is yes. just so much complexity to things that we think are a lot simpler than I I mean, there's nothing about spider webs that looks simple to me. It already yes. looks complex. But to think that the process of how they're made or recycled or used, um, absolutely amazing. Just there's no other word for it. It's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's why that's why I like spider silk. Is is like I had to talk about this because it's so cool. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. Um, as usual, we gladly invite you to come hang out with us on any of our social media. Drew just made a YouTube channel, Woo! so if you like to throw your garbage into YouTube comments, um, <laughs> go right ahead. We have now made that for you. Give me your trash. <laughs> your tired and huddled <laughs> masses. <laughs> I find a lot of trash under YouTube videos. Uh, definitely follow us on Twitter. Go ask Alice Pod and Sarah. Go and follow us at Go Ask Alice Pod on Twitter and Go Ask Alice Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Good. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> Yeah, um, leave us a, a comment uh, wherever you make your podcast listening happen. And uh, we can't wait to see you next week. Bye. We love you. We love you, Robin, now. We love you, Robin. <laughs> we love you, Robin. We love you, Robin. Bye. I can only, I can only watch amateur porn. <laughs> Great.